Hey everybody, this is Dave from Nerds on Film. Hey, wanted to just chat with you for a second. If you're having fun listening to Brian and Eric talk about history week to week, why not hop on over to the other podcast and listen to Brian, myself, and Sarah Ashley talk about films. We talk about film theory. No, we don't. We talk about actors. Yes, we do. We talk about movies to no end. It's a great time. It's a little bit more adult, but it's a wonderful, wonderful experience. Check it out. All right, Brian. Uh, welcome to tonight's recording. I have a very special surprise for you. Right what? behind, right behind that door. Oh, Open it up. Open up you the didn't door have to, do that. to the nerd cave. I got a surprise for you. All right. What do you think? Do you like it? Uh I know. I know. I know. Hmm. I, you know how long it took me to get all this stuff? It's so weird because it's Christmas. You think they'd have plenty of decorations on sale, but I had to look everywhere for red hearts i had to look all over the place for those little candies that have little messages written on them and the cards <laughs> it's weird I don't, I don't i don't really get it but uh the, these christmas cards they were selling i don't know it's some sort of like valentine variety pack or something i, I have no idea it's weird but yeah eric yeah <sighs> you've decorated the nerd cave for valentine's day no, that would be stupid. I decorated it for Christmas. What do you think? What do you think the angels doing up there? Really, angels? That's Cupid. Those aren't angels. Angels. Where's the Christmas tree? Where are the stockings? Where's the, the snowflakes? Brian, it's not Easter. <laughs> Welcome to Nerd Zone History. I'm Brian Moriarty. And I am Eric Brickmont. Well, sir, how are you? Uh, sick. Again. Again? Again. Did you get a flu shot this year? I did, and I didn't get the flu. I got a cold. So, you know, there's nothing to prevent the common cold. I just, you know, the whole family ended up getting it. The kids are sick, and Martha's sick, which is not fun. I disagree. There is a way you can prevent the common cold. How? How? Very simple. You take earplugs and you shove them up your nose. Uh-huh, yeah. Then you take a second pair and you put them in your ears. Okay. Then you take a very large cork mm. and you put it in your mouth. Got it. And then and only then you wrap ace bandage around your eyes. Ah, so your your solution is to suffocate to death. That would prevent me from getting the common cold. That is true. But it's only temporary. Death? I'm not the doctor. <laughs> Just because I own a TARDIS doesn't mean I'm actually able to regenerate. Come on, Brian. Let's let's bring it into reality for a moment, please. Reality. Uh-huh. Yeah. Sorry about that. <laughs> what was I thinking? Thinking that, you know, <clears throat> you were invincible. So, uh, anyway, we'll start to hear that you're sick. That's eh, okay. It's it happens. There's definitely something going around in this yes, part. Yes, the plague. Yeah. The yearly plague. Yeah. There's probably the second or third mutation of it, too, from this year. Uh, well, we did have a nice little nerd Thanksgiving. We had, of course, Kay was on last week to talk about Hanukkah, or Thanksgivinga, I should say. Thanksgivinga, Hanukkah yes. is mm-hmm. still going on. Um, so, folks, give that episode a listen if you skipped it for some reason. The past couple of years, we've done a little nerdsgiving, a little, little nerd Thanksgiving feast. Um, and this year, we kind of, we really did make it unique, because last year we did a very kind of traditional one we got turkey we got except for the kale of course the kale <laughs> kale was a was a, a new I ha- addition I, I have to say though i didn't miss the kale yeah i thought the kale was delicious oh thank you i cooked the kale uh we bought the turkey pre-roasted we just kind of like threw it in the oven to heat it back up right you gave it trader joe's 
and uh, everyone else kind of brought the, it was a potluck the first time we did it mm-hmm. and yeah. la- this year we were just like screw it we don't have time uh went to whole foods and just kind of made out like bandits from their, from and their it was hot good bar. It, it was, was delicious great. the chicken was excellent we did chicken because it's a brickmont tradition as well as sarah hates turkey so yeah, we gotta have chicken did that and then we had pumpkin pie the pumpkin pie was fantastic pumpkin pie was really good yeah it was organic it was really good it was really really good it was really really good everything was good the stuffing was pretty good stuffing was pretty uh, good the gravy gravy was excellent actually oh yeah i like how there was mushroom in the gravy because yeah, it was a vegan gravy because uh david is a vegetarian yeah so uh it was the only thing they <laughs> they had that was that you know wouldn't have made him sick unfortunately yeah so hey well done by the way well done because you were the one who primarily went to the store and picked up all the food so so good job sir yes good job and paid for it hey we hey we split it we did split it i did i paid for it initially but yes yes it was um it was fun i'm glad we got to do it it was just kind of happenstance that dave was going to be on the podcast that night and you were on to be on the podcast we're like oh well we have pretty much everybody who is available here kevin couldn't be there of course because he was drinking wine uh but (laughs) but really nice don't worry kevin wasn't drinking it from a box sitting alone in his apartment he was drinking you know with people socially the only thing i i regret we didn't do is i'm call me cliche i wish we had gone around and said what we were thankful for that's true but we did end up having some fights which was even more traditional in the thanksgiving tradition they were fake but it was totally (laughs) fun because like we say what is thanksgiving without family drama right oh yeah gotta have it and now i'm looking forward to christmas our nerd christmas like we did uh, last year yes indeed mm-hmm. well, we bring everyone together and, all together and what i'm so happy about is we thought with the success of our halloween month of doing all these great themed episodes well we, let's do one that's christmas themed and we kind of did it last year a little, little bit a little we had, bit. The, we had the saint nick we had St. Nick and we did, but we also kind of cut in between with the, with the cannibalism <laughs> and the human sacrifice. Yeah. Eric was kind of on the fence. He only wanted to do two Christmas episodes, not a full month. He wasn't sure if we could pull it off. And I think we've proven that we can pull it off. Yeah. The, the, the Halloween month has definitely proven it to me. So I've relinquished any kind of human sacrifice or cannibalistic themed episode for the month. Which, you know, I thought could have been great. We could have made that into a Christmas a, tradition. A, it is a tradition in the Brickmont household. Yes. It is, absolutely. We, we always hunt down one of the neighbors and, you know, the one that annoys us the most. And, and then we, we feast on them. There you go. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> this podcast just took a very dark turn. I'm sorry, was that a little too dark? I apologize. No, we don't actually eat our neighbors. We just, you know, throw things at them. <laughs> it's like, we don't eat them. No, no, no. We just skewer them. Yeah. <laughs> That was when it got too dark. <laughs> uh, okay. Anyway, let's move. Let's go move back into the light, shall we? You know, so, I have to say though, honestly, we really started this last episode, didn't we? We kind of did with Hanukkah, indeed, and, yeah. and and Thanksgiving. So we're already ahead of the game. This is great. We're yeah. doing better than we even thought we were. Well done, Brian. Thank you. And this is a big month for us because it's actually five weeks. Though we're not probably going to do all, we're going to take a break toward the end of the month as we did last year. Yeah. So, uh, but before we get into the festivities, let's uh, do some listener feedback, shall we? Absolutely. This week in listener feedback. So, you know what? We keep getting tremendous feedback from our episode on the the Romani. Uh, It's really great because we've gotten what, this is now I think the second week in a row where we've gotten feedback on the same episode. Yes. Which is really, really cool. We clearly made a bit of an impact. Mm-hmm. 
And I'd like to share one from Stephen, if we could. Stephen, our old friend from Australia, uh, wrote, Hey guys, first of all, kudos on the episode. It's nice to see you trying your hand at a more serious episode, and what a topic to pick. In my household, they are known as travelers. My wife is of Irish descent. And ever since she mentioned her experiences with them, I've been interested in finding out more. A few years ago, I worked with an Irish girl uh, whose mother was a traveler, but married out. I guess that means she, she didn't stick within the culture. She moved, she assimilated, as we were talking about in the episode. Uh, it was all very interesting, but there was an ever-present bias against travelers. There you go. Mm. You see that's still happening. I did know a little bit about the Romani thanks to this, but you filled out a lot of gaps for me. A tragic history that is in many ways a case study of racial slash cultural intolerance. P.S. Thanks for the shout out. Stephen, you are welcome, sir. It is always good to hear from you. You always give us consistent feedback as well. This one we really, really wanted to pull out of the woodwork and share. I will say, though, because we did have one that was kind of on the other side of the coin. We did. And, and I do want to address it for a moment, because I think it is important to address it, because we did focus a lot on the positives of this great culture and, and how it has been treated over the years in really horrible ways. And we didn't really talk about, though, you know, the fact that any culture, any any group of people who are kind of kept down and more or less kept in that in that poverty level, there are going to be situations where in any culture, in any group of people you're going to have crime and you're going to have other things that are associated with with poverty, right? Mm-hmm. And one of our listeners who wanted to remain anonymous, which is fine, kind of gave us a very detailed report of a group of still kind of wandering travelers, as, as Stephen puts it, which I think is a great, yeah, great word for them. Interestingly enough, this person's also from Ireland. Also from Ireland, yes. that's right. And for us, you know, I, I cannot validate any of the things that we're being told because we don't really have a lot of information. Uh, we couldn't really find any evidence to corroborate any of his of his stories that he was telling or she was telling. We don't we don't know. So I, I, I you know I hesitate to kind of read those on air. But what I would recommend for this individual, if you are seeing these events from kind of afar, maybe jump out of your comfort zone for a minute. Go talk to some of these folks. You know, if if they do kind of come into your area from time to time, right? If they are really much more nomadic, which most are not. 95% of the Roma people are in one location now. They, mm-hmm. they, they do not live that lifestyle. B- reach out a little bit. Maybe talk to them a little bit. Learn a little bit more about them. Maybe you'll have a bit of a different perspective on what's going on. And also accept the fact that there's always going to be exceptions. There's always going to be some individual in some community who's doing something that's maybe not favorable. And I would not base those interactions that perhaps you're seeing from afar, perhaps that you are hearing stories about, or maybe even, you know, have experienced, really paint that picture for all of those people. That's yeah. what we wanted people to focus on, was was the fact that there are so much more about these individuals beyond just stereotypes. Yeah. And, you know, this is one person's perspective, right? We really want you guys to understand that, as we would say with any circumstance, don't take our word for it. Exactly. Get the information yourself, draw your own conclusions yeah. on this. Okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And of course, I forgot to say, we should also really qualify this too. You're entitled to your opinion as well. Oh, absolutely. Yes. And only you have your own experiences to, to draw from, right? So again, we, we don't want to talk too much more about it because again, we don't have any evidence one way or another. Uh, we only have what you're telling us. So, you know, don't, don't be offended if we don't really read out everything that was in that email. It was also kind of a long one, but uh, we did want to at least acknowledge it and acknowledge your opinion. And so we also have a little bit, little bit of feedback to share from the Facebook page. 
A huh, little bit, yes. A little bit. <laughs> well, we'll keep it quick. So why don't you take it, it's Yeah, actually? Uh, Dave, of course, who is our Facebook master, uh, went ahead and posed a question for Mystery Monday. And, uh, you know, he, he asked, throughout history, there have been many mysteries that remain unsolved. If you could have one mystery revealed, what would it be and why? So the best answer gets the shout out. So again, uh, we will pick one of these which are all amazing, and we're all going to at least acknowledge them, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Real quick right now. But one of you folks, one of you listeners, uh, will, of course, be able to uh, give us the, the shout-out that you want us to say on air. Uh, first off, uh, we, have, uh, we have Brett, who wants to know a little bit more about gods and goddesses throughout history and the creation of Christianity uh, and the, uh, the birth and symbolism behind uh, Christianity. Uh, which there has been a lot of research on, but you know there, there's not a whole lot that's concrete either. So there are still a lot of unknowns and mysteries and, and things of that mm-hmm. nature that have yet to be revealed, yet to come to light. Uh, Mandy would like to know uh, who the Zodiac Killer was. I think that's a, a really interesting one. Trevor wants to know a little bit more about the beginning of the universe. That's a bit of a bold one, Trevor, but okay. It's also one that was in our original synopsis for our show, right? That's Everything. Right. From cheese in a can to, to the creation the origin of, the of the universe. universe. Yeah, so, exactly. There you go. And we covered it. We covered it on our first Wheel, on, uh, Wheel of History episode. That's right. Well, at least the best we Or could. the second one, I think. It was one of the Wheel of History episodes. Because yeah. the truth is, again, there's still a lot of mysteries behind the creation of that. Mm-hmm. This universe, I should say. Uh, what happens to the remains of Peking Man? Uh, this one comes from uh, Michelle. And they were sent to the United States for uh, safekeeping during World War II, but they never made it. Mm-hmm. So that's a that's a that's we should actually do an episode on that. That'd be really interesting. Good old uh, Constantino uh, wants to know. Dino, what up, buddy? Good old Dino. Hey, wants to know uh, who Jack the Ripper really was. You haven't done one on Jack the Ripper either. That would be a another great episode to do. That would be absolutely fascinating. Uh, Jennifer's got a whole bunch of them. She wants to know about Mary Celeste and Atlantis and the Bermuda Triangle. Okay, okay, Amelia okay, Earhart. Okay, okay. You're supposed to only give us one. <laughs> well, you know what. Jennifer is one of our longest listeners, and so, you know what, she deserves. Maybe we can do this in March, like a mystery March. We talk about unsolved mysteries. That would be cool. I like yeah. that. I really, really I like, like that. I like work in the mystery of St. Patrick. No? No. <laughs> but I like Mis- everything else about mystery that. Mystery of leprechauns. Okay, you are uh, quickly, quickly losing any credibility. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, hey, uh, Jennifer, all, all great... Uh, all great ones. That'd be that's really fantastic. Um, we also have one for uh, the unknown woman of the sign, and um, this is something that we would have to go into a lot more detail on. This one comes from Gabriel, and I, I think that will actually be uh, really interesting to focus on if we do uh, talk about that in March. Uh, Melissa wants to know a little bit about uh, what exactly was in the Great Library of Alexandria. And, uh, of course, uh, where Alexander the Great is buried. That is a question that a lot of people have been asking for a very long time. Some people believe he was preserved in a bat of honey. So, just throwing that one out there, but we, we've yet to, to find him. Um, I think at this point, if the if that were true, the honey would have... It wouldn't have petrified yet, but it would have probably... It's a preservative. Yeah, it would have... Something would about it would have, like, It's an antibacterial, changed. and it's a preservative, and so mummification... Uh, there has been examples where honey was, was used right, as a preservative. Right, It doesn't go bad, but I imagine the physical properties would change over time, though, right? It wouldn't always stay liquid. It would, might... No, it would probably solidify almost yeah. certainly. Yeah. Okay. And then uh, Benny wants to know uh, who D.B. Cooper was. That one was the one that was the most simple, but also the most poignant, I thought. Yeah. And I looked up D.B. Cooper. He was this dude who took hostage an airplane and then parachuted off the airplane. They never found him. It is the only known case of air piracy 
in American aviation history. This dude is fascinating. So I got to say, I, I think based on that, uh, Benny's our, our winner. I think Benny is definitely our winner. Okay, Absolutely. Benny, uh, you heard it. Go ahead, let us know what shout-out you'd like. Go ahead and contact us on the Facebook page. Send us a message, and we will read it on air. And thank you to everyone who participated this week uh, on our Mystery Monday. All of your uh, ideas and suggestions were fantastic. And heck, just that alone has uh, gone ahead and cemented in Neuronomy's future Mystery March. So look forward to Mystery March. Yes, indeed. Now, um, one thing I want to say just real quick, just to clarify the shout-out. Different than feedback. Feedback is you give us commentary on an episode. We have we are more than happy to share it. And if you guys want to give us kudos, much appreciated. Shout out. We will say whatever you want us to say. It doesn't have to be a thank you to your wife and family if you don't want it to be, though that is also fair game. It can be the most absurd thing that you can think of. If you would like me to tell the world that I enjoy tickling ferrets, I'm willing to say that. Just keep it within uh, the clean If you want region. me to tell the world... I am a pretty little princess. We will do that as well. Clearly, we have no shame. So, let the games begin. Yes, just keep it clean, please. Keep it clean. Keep it clean. Maybe we'll bleep it if it's really, really good. Okay, but let's not have it be... Beep! Beep, 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 beep! The beep! Cut to elevator music. Yeah. <laughs> Get done. Yeah. All right, fantastic. Well, you know what that means. This brings us now, with the conclusion of listener feedback, to our very first month of holiday themed episodes and i i think that to really kick this off it's important that we uh that we invite back a rather key and integral part of the second season of nerds on history at least that was the plan uh we went looking in the nerd basement for the wheel of history and it's gone which is not terribly surprising considering the last time when it seemed to kind of develop a bit of a I don't know what to call it. Maybe, maybe, maybe a personality. Maybe I don't know if it's a personality. A sentience. Yeah, it's kind of creepy. It made me feel a little un. What? Do, do you hear that? Is that ranger on the roof? I don't know. It's some sort of pittering, pattering, and oh my god! Look at the nerd chimney. We have a chimney. Yeah, that's kind of recent, isn't it? I haven't seen that before. Hey, look who it is! And it's wearing a Santa hat. That's that's new. I think it's modified itself slightly. It's not as grotesque as it used to be. It looks like it's back to its old stuff, except, like you said, there's a printer on it now. Yeah, like a little little ticker tape. Oh, it's, it's printing out a message. Uh, it says, hey, guys, I'm back. Wow. Uh, okay. Hi, Wheel of History. This is, this is different. Uh... I've upgraded myself, and I'm now 200% more clever. Oh, okay, so... Here we right. go. Well... Okay, this is new, but hey, you know, we're, we're willing to work with you as long as, you know, you don't kill us or anything. All right, Wheel, are you ready to do this? Yes, I was born ready. Let's get this holiday fest on. All right, cool. Yeah, it's got personality. I kind of like it, actually. There you go. All right. Uh, go ahead, Will. Give us that first spin. Tinsel. Okay. All right. That makes sense. Tinsel. Decoration. Well, very true. Makes sense so Tell us to about me. tinsel. What? what where the heck does tinsel come from? Well, tinsel is the the lament of 
many a uh, parent who is decorating the Christmas tree for the kids or cleaning up after the tree has been taken down because it gets everywhere. I hate tinsel. I really do. There's a stand-up comedy bit about tinsel. No matter how hard you try, it's hiding underneath the couch. I guarantee you. <laughs> you will find it. With the same plastic grass from Easter and <laughs> those Easter <laughs> baskets because it's the same thing. <laughs> I think everyone knows what tinsel is, but just in just in case, I don't think so. You know, it's the the strings of metallic shininess that decorate the branches of your Christmas tree. So tinsel was actually invented in Nuremberg, interestingly enough, hmm. uh, in 1610, and it was originally actually made from silver. Really, 1610? Yes. And do we know why tinsel exists? Well, tinsel was a way of simulating the idea of icicles. Ah off of the tree, right? Because, of course, the Christmas tree would normally have been coming from outside. And I'm sure you wanted to create that kind of wintry look to it. Sure. Trying to preserve actual ice crystals on your indoor Christmas tree covered with candles, probably not going to happen. Right. So you you, you got to just kind of go for the look more open to artistic interpretation, right? Um, so in what way was the silver processed, though? Because was it these thin strips like we kind of find today? Or was it actual kind of chunks of, of like, silver slivers, essentially? That would Slivers of silver, essentially, yeah. Oh, great. So, yes. so, so the children actually, could all get lovely, lovely metal yeah. slivers. And there's actually a little bit of different interpretations here. One is the whole icicle thing. The other is that it's meant to symbolize the starry sky uh, over the nativity scene. Hmm. Probably a little mixture of both, I would imagine, are, are true. And by the early 20th century... We had basically figured out a better way of working with aluminum. So aluminum was used to substitute uh, instead. I think they use plastic now. I can't imagine like plastic and aluminum put together because I can't imagine that's entirely metallic. It's too stretchy. It's too uh, plasticky. It doesn't feel like metal when you put your, your hands on it. So right. apparently at one point lead was a popular... This just keeps getting better and better. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> lead was a popular material for that. The thing about silver, though, is that silver does eventually tarnish, right? And lead didn't, so that was one of the advantages mm. to using it. So it retained its shine, but it also could have killed you. <laughs> because, um, and in fact, that's why in the 1960s it was phased out, because of the risk of lead poisoning. Sure. And it turns out that the FDA, in August 1971, concluded that lead tinsel caused an unnecessary risk to children. That's why it was pulled. So, Well, yeah. I mean, it's so small, and it would be easy to consume. Yeah. Uh, I can't imagine how many family dogs or cats would have ended up getting sick because sure. of it. According to this, uh, which is uh, the oracle of all knowledge that we consult from time to time, Wikipedia, uh, <laughs> <laughs> modern tinsel is actually made of polyvinyl chloride. PVC, oh, which uh, is also not great for you. Yeah, actually. I was going to say, isn't that the stuff that causes? Uh, There's phytoestrogens in it, I believe. Yeah. So it causes, it can have some uh, adverse effects on on boys. Yes. Wow. Good times. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So uh, poor tinsel. Tinsel never really had much of a chance, did it? <laughs> no. Uh, apparently, it's also used in India too for other purposes of. Uh, garlands and all it's used in weddings and it's uh hmm. as ornamental trappings for horses and elephants so i guess it's not just a christmas thing interesting it's kind of evolved probably yeah, yeah. i i have a question for you though and i think you would probably be the most likely one to answer this mm -hmm. and this is totally unrelated to christmas but where the heck does the term tinsel town come from tinsel town well tinsel is just another word for silver right yeah so tinsel town i'm just again this is going off of a complete educated guess that's the place where everyone was lighting up the silver screen 
Ah. Right? So I'm, I'm assuming that the correlation comes from that. Okay. It's not so much that, that Los Angeles was really just big on tinsel. Yeah. That would make a very good episode to talk about the origin of the word Tinseltown. Hmm. hmm. Let's p- parking lot that. Yeah. I like it. All right. Well, shall we uh, consult the wheel once again? Yes, indeed. And around and around it goes, and it ends on ornaments. Well, of course, that makes sense. Yeah, ornaments are interesting. I think the very first ornaments were very simple, and that was just whatever grew on the actual bushels uh, and trees, which was more often acorns and, uh, of course, berries. And we're talking about pre-Christian traditions here, right? So we're talking about a long, long, long time ago, uh, all these great pagan traditions that had to do with the winter solstice. We talked a little bit about this last year on the Christmas episode, right? But it is something that continued once Christianity kind of got pulled into it and the tree was being pulled into the home now. And right. Keep in mind, though, that the Christmas tree is integration into Christmas was really re-brought back in with around the time of the Protestant Reformation, though. It right. wasn't, wasn't really around when Catholicism was dominating Europe. Not exactly, no. No. You will find that, again, kind of like with tinsel, Germany is the big home of the Christmas tree. That's where the Christmas tree kind of became very popular. And that's where our love in the 19th century kind of... In fact, I I would guess that, I mean, without even knowing fully the origin of the word, I'm guessing tinsel is of German origin. It sounds extremely German. It does indeed, doesn't it? Yes. Ornaments also have their German origin there. Because if you're going to have a tree, you're going to decorate it. And if it's going to kind of come out of Germany, it makes sense that the decorations are also oftentimes going to come out of Germany. So this is something that actually is going to kind of tie in a few more times, I think. Yeah, I mean, originally it was apples that would be put on the trees. Apples, um, figs, uh, walnuts, other kind of fruits and nuts that could be kind of left on there. biblical, right? We talk about, you know, the, I mean, especially when you think about the Protestant mindset. The, one of the chief things that separates Protestantism from Catholicism is the primacy of the Bible over uh, over tradition. Uh, in the Catholicism, there's the basically belief that there's sacred scripture, but sacred scripture goes hand in hand with sacred tradition. That scripture was um, chosen to fit the tradition. So um, you find that when you get to the Protestant traditions, you get looking for things that have biblical uh, basises to them. Right. So, which is ironic because the tree itself has no biblical basis whatsoever. However, Martin Luther made a metaphor of how Christ was um, ever living, right? Just like the the, the evergreen, evergreen trees. Yeah. Exactly. Um, but the the apples, I mean, you can see the references of them in with the story of Adam and Eve. The fig tree is in, I think this, it's not Jesse. I think it is a story of Jesse. I could be wrong now. The fig bush is prominent in the New Testament as well. So, you know, you see these things that do tie into... Sure. You can also see the pagan origin with, again, nuts and berries. These were Mm -hmm. uh, winter foods that were sustaining, that got you through the winter, that got you to that time of spring where then you would have other great fruits that would come in, like the apples and things of that nature, too. So there's there's definitely tie-ins with both of that. Later, then you started seeing things like strings of popcorn. That became very common. It was something that was quick and easy to make that you could string together that, you know, you, you wouldn't really be eating it a couple of weeks later because it'd be pretty nasty and stale, but it also wouldn't go bad. It wouldn't stink up your house. Uh, white candy canes. This is a bit of a side note because I know we're talking about ornaments in general, but candy canes have been used to decorate trees for quite a long time. And in my research, I found something really fascinating. The, the story about how candy canes came into existence there's a legend behind it, which we don't know if that's actually true or not. But again, comes from Germany, in this case, Cologne in 1672. 
and it features a choir master uh, mm-hmm. in the Cologne Cathedral who had a bunch of kids that he was trying to calm down. I know the story very well. You know well. the story? It's really interesting. Yeah. And apparently his solution was to give them sweets, to give them candy. And obviously he couldn't, uh, you know, get away with that unless it had some sort of religious tie-in. So he requested that they be made in the shape of crooks. Of shepherd's crooks. Of shepherd's crooks. So there's your, your religious tie-in to it. There you go. And then, of course, the red and white, right? Those are That's important because those are... Well, we'll talk about colors in a second, but... The colors have a very important symbolism to go along with those. They do, but what I found interesting is that is in no way tied into this actual uh, story. That was more tied onto it later. Much, much later. In fact, the first recipe for these kind of peppermint candy sticks, the ones that have the different stripes on it, didn't come about until 1844. Oh, oh interesting. So quite a bit later. Before that, they were so just, just plain white candy. Yeah, plain white sugar canes. Uh, literally, <laughs> sugar canes. Unintentional pun. Uh, but I, I, I think it is actually kind of a, a neat story, and nobody really knows if it's true or not, but one way or another, candy canes did kind of eventually come into existence in their At this in their point, form. it doesn't really matter if it's true or not. I mean, there's a certain point where legend um, can sometimes be just as important as the fact yeah. behind it. And the, the candy cane that we all know and love today didn't really become cemented in literature until around 1866. So that's one of the first true publications of it. You will find that the uh, Chicago, Chicago confectioners, the Bunty Brothers, and forgive me if I'm saying this wrong, uh, they were the ones who actually patented the candy cane. Uh, and that was in the early 1920s. And they are the ones who, who continue to really be the, the leading force behind the uh, creation of candy canes, even today. And they make a ton of them a ton in fact we will because it's patented we may who knows we may not even be allowed to to say the word candy cane can can we is it like happy birthday do we have to pay them every time we say the word candy cane i don't think so i should probably stop saying candy cane just in case they're gonna charge us for saying candy cane i'm pretty sure we'll be okay candy cane candy cane candy cane okay this is getting out of hand so yes it is interesting little side note on that but i think that when we all really think about ornaments we are drawn to the bobble right the Christmas ball, as it's known in, in America, and the, the bobble, as it's known elsewhere in the world. And that is just a, a small globe. Traditionally, they're made out of glass. Uh, they fall and break on the ground, and I stab my feet on them at least <laughs> once a Christmas. Uh, the cats go absolutely insane with them. Uh, but they are a staple of, of Christmas tradition. And you find, again, these come from Germany. Not a huge surprise there, but a very specific place in Germany. Uh, and they were created by Hans Grainer, uh, who was known for making kind of garlands of, of glass beads that were kind of similar to the popcorn strings. But he decided to kind of branch out at some point. What he would do is he'd make these uh, clay molds in, in the spherical shape. Uh, he would heat up a cylinder of glass, and then he would use the technique of blowing the glass to, to fill the mold and created these handcrafted Uh, glass baubles, which he then covered with a silver nitrate uh, and was able to create a wide variety of different uh, colors from those. And they were extremely popular, uh, more so specifically in Germany, but then they started getting exported out. And quickly people realized that this was the way to go. And so they they kind of, uh, his all of his competitors started making them. And it was just known that the best glass baubles came from from Germany from that point on. Hmm. How they kind of get over to America all has to do with good old Queen Vic. Queen so, Victoria, huh? Queen Victoria, whose huh. husband, of course, Prince Albert, was German. 
uh, the that idea of the Christmas tree as being a part of an American household. We've talked about this on the previous episode, how mm-hmm. it was kind of introduced when there was an editorial that was done on Queen Victoria's Christmas tree. Uh, and hanging on them were these German Christmas baubles that uh, that apparently Prince Albert was fond of. So those kind of got imported into England, became popular there, which again, became popular in America. Eventually, however, even though Germany had really cornered the market on these for a long time, uh, by the time the 1980s kind of came around, uh, Woolworths in America started selling uh, Christmas baubles as well. And uh, they had gone national with over 1,000 stores selling these Christmas ornaments by about 1910. So they, they took it and kind of cornered the market in America, but they were still importing a lot of this German glass. Um, it's believed that, uh, you know, they made millions and millions and millions of dollars in the sales of these. And they became very common gifts. People would give them as actual Christmas gifts. And look at Hallmark, right? Hallmark has continued the tradition. And in the 1970s, they started introducing that Hallmark signature series. And they now have hundreds of their own little, uh, specialized figurines because they branched out, right? They didn't just become little baubles any longer. Now they took on all sorts of different shapes and, and, uh, different themes and things of that nature. Pretty much, if you can put a hook on it, you can make it an ornament. Uh, eventually, Germany would pretty much be closed down for ornament making uh, after World War II. Uh, most of the companies who were making these were located in East Germany. So it wasn't really until the fall of the Berlin Wall that you actually found a, a reemergence of these German Christmas ornaments, which was really not that long ago. Wow, I didn't know that. It's like only 20 years ago, really. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Now I have a question for you. Yes, sir. Are you familiar with the Christmas pickle? The what? The Christmas pickle. Well, I think I just answered that question because I said the what? I have never heard of this before. In Neither my research, it came up and it was absolutely fascinating. The Christmas pickle. No one knows exactly how this tradition started. There's a myth that it started in Germany uh, because, again, Germany was connected with, with Christmas ornaments. But that has now more or less been disproved. And it was not uncommon when those first kind of ornaments would force more... Um, decorative ones came about the ones that were kind of variety they would create naturally fruits and vegetables the kind of things that we were talking about people actually hanging on trees before i can imagine the pickle was not the greatest seller i can see you know cold christmas eve person comes into the store they want to buy a christmas ornament and they're pretty much cleared out they got just about nothing left but the guy behind the counter was kind of like well okay I don't have a whole lot of variety, but I do have something that's very special. It's from Germany. Everyone's doing it in Germany. It's the Christmas pickle. And somehow, this tradition, probably born out of the desire for some shopkeeper to get rid of these ornaments that are not selling, ended up becoming a tradition here in America, one that I've never heard of. Maybe it's kind of an East Coast thing. But uh, apparently, finding the Christmas pickle uh, in the Christmas tree ends up getting you either an extra present or good luck. Interesting. Yeah, so listeners who are familiar with this tradition, because um, there is some thinking that this was born out of a couple different myths. No one knows exactly how it came about. One uh, story actually involves the Civil War uh, and Camp Sumter and, and a gentleman who was uh, who was actually uh, a Bavarian-born private, uh, John C. Luer, and uh, he was captured in April of 1864 and taken uh, to a prisoner camp. And there... On Christmas Eve, he begged the guard for anything, something to eat, because he was absolutely starving hungry, and the guy gave him a pickle. That's one myth 
that's told. The other one ties in with St. Nicholas. Remember we talked about a couple of his myths when we did our, our, our St. Nick episode? Of course, yeah. And one of the miracles that he performed was the resurrection of those two children who had been locked in a barrel. Yeah, they were pretty much murdered, yeah. Yeah. This one tells the same story, but they were trapped in a barrel of pickles. Huh. No kidding. Interesting. So they were brined to death. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Brian, they were they were brined to death. That's a terrible way to go, really. But if you've got really St. Nick on your side, you're fine. Um, no, let's not make that the episode title, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> but Christmas Pickle, that's a good candidate, I Question think. mark? Christmas Pickle? Christmas yeah. Pickle? Uh, but I will say that um, no one, again, really knows how this tradition came about. I think it has more to do with people trying to sell these undesirable Christmas ornaments. Yes, indeed. All right, Wheel, let's keep going here. Listeners, if you are familiar with this tradition of the Christmas Pickle, um, please tell us about it, because we are absolutely baffled. Christmas plants. Interesting. Christmas plants. Christmas flora, if you will. Okay. Well, you know, before we get into this, though, there is a recurring trend among Christmas plants, right? Obviously, they're all green, right? But some some of them have red. I would like to take a moment to talk about the significance about those colors first. Please do, because I think it's really important, and it's something that is oftentimes overlooked when people talk about the symbolism behind Christmas. Right, and there are pretty much five colors that you would associate. Obviously, red and green are the first two, because those are everywhere. Uh, gold, of course. Uh, white is very prominent, but also blue. Uh, though less common, it is still very much a part of it. Well, let's start with the most obvious, green. If you think about Europe, right? Europe is really where Christmas had developed and taken off uh, and developed many of the traditions that we're, we're following today. Europe is known for having some pretty unforgivable winters, right? Particularly in the areas where a lot of these traditions we know of developed. You know, England, Germany, so northern uh, Europe, Sweden. Scandinavia. Scandinavia, exactly. The significance behind green in winter is the reminder that death is not gonna overcome you right, right? there's some actual hope winter right. will finish exactly because you're surrounded by everything that is dead yeah <laughs> right um and that's why martin luther was so keen to associate christ with green right because we've determined that christ conquered death he is everlasting his word is everlasting so therefore green is symbolic of that and particularly the four plants that are evergreens are pine holly Ivy and mistletoe. Four plants that any time of year you'll catch them. So you'll catch them? Oh, sure. Yes. I went there. Yeah. Uh, we won't talk about mistletoe this week. We're right. Gonna, we're going to save that. Right. Because next week we're going to do Yule. We're going to focus on Yule specifically. So, and mistletoe is much more closely tied to Yule right. than it is from there. Uh, the holly and the ivy do have pagan roots, as we've kind of figured out a lot of these things uh, do. But I do find very fascinating. Um, the symbolism behind holly. Because holly uh, in heraldry, where you're making family crests, is used to symbolize truth. Yeah, so I thought that was that was interesting. If we know holly has been uh, a pagan practice, we know it goes back a couple thousand years, right? It goes back to really pre-Christian times, as we've seen a lot of these things are. Um, there's also, I found out, 600 species of holly. The one that we're most familiar with was the curved, the really jaggedly kind of curved leaves. That's the European holly. The scary one. Yes. 
And it's also apparently just not unlike mistletoe, very toxic. So you really do not want to eat holly berries at all. In fact, the funny thing is I believe that's their defense mechanism. Their berries are actually, I think, what they use to attract birds. Um, but it's so that <laughs> the birds eat one of the berries and then they die. These vicious, vicious plants. <laughs> they are quite terrifying, I have to admit. Yeah. Um, and there are other um, woods. You can use holly. Uh, you Actually, the branch can actually be used for wood. In fact, it's used in the, for wand making in the Harry Potter stories. I thought that was interesting. Um, there's also, of course, uh, it's referenced in the holly and the ivy. We'll get to the, that in a moment. There's two colors in there, right? There's the green and there's the red. Right. So in it. where does red come from? Well, so if green is the everlasting life of Christ, red would be representing the death of Christ, the blood, the passion more specifically. That's why red is such considered such a passionate color. The word passion derives from the word for suffering. Right. And who in this culture suffered the most, right? It was Jesus. So red has come to symbolize that. And that's why uh, St. Nicholas's robes are red. Right. We talk about that. We talk about how it's pre- it's still used in priestly vestments about two or three times a year. Pentecost is particularly one of the years, times where it's used. And of course, the cardinals in Rome wear them for all for the same reasons. They all represent the same thing, the blood of Christ, basically. And of course, where else do we see red? More dominantly, we don't see it really in holly, do we? We don't see it in ivy. We don't see it in mistletoe. We see it in poinsettias. Yes, that's very true. Yes. And so that's where we really see it from. And poinsettias, of course, are native to Mexico. There there are some varieties that do exist in South America, but they've also migrated now. They're, they're all over the world. Uh, there's some that are actually in uh, Turkey as well. Hmm. They were picked because of their association with uh, the colors of Christmas. I wish I could say that there's, there's a, a really elaborate story behind the association with Christmas, but there's really not much. I'm, I, I apologize for that. You'd be interested to know, Eric, that poinsettias have been cultivated in Egypt since the 1860s. Interesting. And they are highly poisonous, are they not? Actually, that is a myth. Is it really? It is. The toxicity level is minimal at most. It will cause irritation. Hmm. It will not actually cause death. That was kind of a smear campaign against it. It was a 1919 urban legend uh, about an er- a two-year-old child dying after consuming a leaf of poinsettia. Yeah, I'd so, always heard that. Yeah. They are not toxic at all. No not, at least not at least not to the way where they can really kill somebody. What about for animals, like your household pets? Uh, don't, I have no idea. Hmm. Sorry. Don't test it, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, let's not put that theory to test, shall we? Uh, what I will say, though, is that the leaves, the formation of the leaves, have come to symbolize, one, the Christmas star, um, and also the morning sun, uh, regardless of what the colors are. Because hmm. obviously now we see that poinsettia has come in a pink and a white variety. Right. So they were well. really meant for Christmas. They were kind of uh, just yeah. waiting to be tied in. But I believe the native actual color is is red. I think it's through just genetics that we've gotten the, not nothing super advanced, but just through breedings we've gotten the recessive genes of pink and white to become more prominent. I think red is the natural state. I could be wrong. If there's a botanist uh, who listens to our show, please, by all means, uh, let us know. Moving on with the plants. We've also got ivy, right? And ivy looks like holly, not quite as uh, curvaceous as holly is. And we can't not reference the old Christmas carol, the holly and the ivy, right? It was one that merged both pagan and Christian imagery. So going over to ivy for a moment to kind of piggyback on the holly argument, 
Ivy is also derived from English pagan imagery. Uh, interestingly enough, I didn't realize this. They are actually considered both fertility symbols. Hmm. So. Probably guess, pagan origin, almost certainly. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and, of course, they were strewn together uh, with the the Christmas Carol, the Holly and the Ivy. Uh, Holly and Ivy are very big in England, um, at least they were at, at this point in time. Henry VIII was very big into it, and European Holly has always had that strong association with the winter solstice as well. So it doesn't surprise me that the two go together so naturally. What I found really, really interesting, though, since we've talked about the poinsettia, that's really considered the Christmas flower. What if we talk about a second and talk about the Christmas cactus? The what? The what? Yeah. The... I have a question. Yes. Is it not uncommon to find Christmas pickles hung on the Christmas cactus? In a bizarro world, I'm sure that is true. I'm pretty sure when we do when we when we put up the tree in the nerd cave here, I, I want it to be that. Yeah, the Schlumbergera. It's fun to say. Uh, turns out it actually has a. Uh, it's not just known as the Christmas cactus. It can also be considered the Thanksgiving cactus, or the Easter cactus, or the White Sun, the Whitson cactus. I guess that we just haven't figured out a name for this thing yet. <laughs> um, it is actually native to Brazil. There's about six different species of it. There's also uh, crab cactus and then just holiday cactus. I guess these are all because of the different colors they can take on. Because um, if you look at the plant, it doesn't really look like a cactus. It actually sprouts these these leaves and flowers on them. Okay. So I think maybe the base of it is more cactus-like, but I, I actually haven't seen a good one close enough to really know why it's considered a cactus. Um, to any of our South American listeners, please take a picture of your Christmas cacti yeah, it and send really it have, to us. It doesn't really have like the thick, what do you call them, leaves and then with the with the thorns on them? Is, are those actually considered leaves? Well, those are fruit, aren't they? I believe that the, the flowering part of the plant does eventually turn into the cactus fruit. Gotcha. Okay. So, so it makes actually kind of sense that it would be associated with Christmas because it has these colorful flowers on it that eventually right. turn into fruit, which are all things that we would hang on a Christmas tree. Right. And I think really you call it the, the whatever kind of cactus it is based on the, the flower petals because they come in white, uh, pink, yellow, orange, red, or purple. So purple would make total sense for Easter because of the Paschal colors and the color of, of uh, Lent. Red, I mean, red, no brainer, that'd be for Christmas. White would, I guess, be the Whitson one. Orange makes total sense for Thanksgiving. Um, and then ye yellow, I guess, could also, and pink could also be easily construed for Easter as well. So, um, and I'm not going to go into the, the botany <laughs> of the Schlumbergera, um, but just to know, hey, look one up. You might want to change up your Christmas arrangement this year and put that one in instead of a poinsettia. I think it's a great idea. Forget my Christmas tree. I'm getting a cactus this year. You're going to have some very upset children. If you do that. <laughs> I'm going to have some very upset pets as well. Yeah. And some very impaled pets. Yeah. Well, you can stay at my house. <laughs> I might have you, to. You, you, might, you might have to after that, <laughs> exactly. All right, Wheel. I'm tapped with Christmas plants. Wheel. Wheel. Uh, would you guys like some eggnog? It's really good. <laughs> what? Did you notice the glass of eggnog that was there earlier sitting on the on the stand for the Wheel of History? No, I didn't notice that there was a fuel tank on the in the back of it. Does this thing run on gas? I think it. I think it runs on eggnog. Oh God! Oh boy, this is gonna great. So the the wheel is now schnockered. Oh, wonderful! I could do a lot of things if I had some money. 
Okay, uh, Brian, can you manually move the wheel? Because apparently it's it's on its way to Happy Land. Oh, dear God. All right, wheel, pull yourself together. <sighs> and it's not even the Christmas party yet. The snowman. Oh, the snowman. The snowman. Thanks, wheel. <laughs> so, Eric, tell me, where does the snowman come from? No one knows. <laughs> okay. No one knows for sure. Okay. But I will say this. I'm thinking it's like, hey, it's cold outside. There's a lot of stuff out there. What do you want to do? I don't know. Let's just make stuff. <laughs> I bet you guys can make a man. No, I can't. No, I totally can. And then that's probably how it happened. I can guarantee you that first time that conversation happened was about 30,000 years ago. Probably. Almost certainly ancient man was responsible for creating the first It is the snowman. most ancient of Christmas symbols. It has to be. It absolutely <laughs> has to be. Well, really, it's a winter symbol, right? Because you, you can have a snowman going well into March or You could, depending April. on where you are in the world, absolutely. Yeah. And if you think about it, people have been making anthropomorphized figures for thousands and thousands of years. We painted them in caves. We turned them into amulets out of bits of clay. Uh, we used everything around us, including turnips and potatoes and all sorts of things. Why not snow? It sounds like the perfect medium to me. Uh, it's pretty temporary, but that's okay, because a lot of symbolism behind uh, those those anthropomorphized figures uh, were very temporary in their own nature. So I'm sure thousands and thousands of years ago, people were creating snowmen. And I'm sure that just the idea of taking a snowball and just keep rolling it until it becomes big enough to use as your base... That was just kind of luck, I'm assuming. It's kind of logic, right? I mean, yeah. you, I'm sure you saw snow you gather. Just, you just can't, like, pile snow on top of each other and make it into a man. You have to kind of, you, have, you need a process you to do. go through. You, you got to have some work here. Um, but we, we do find that eventually it would kind of be cemented into, uh, into history, in the modern history. But the first depiction of a snowman in the Book of Hours, circa 1380. So it takes it back pretty far you'll later find depictions of things like snowball fights and what have you uh coming shortly thereafter and the snowman is just kind of a logical birth out of all of that uh and has now kind of become a representation more of commercialism and marketing than it is anything obviously the association with christmas time has to be due to just the the nature of snow during the winter but uh of course frosty the snowman is what really brings it into the modern world today and that iconic song uh, released on december 14th in 1950 uh, just like rudolph the red-nosed reindeer would also create its own kind of animated special and now frosty is seen as this fantastic symbol that has been passed down from generation to generation to herald in the the christmas spirit in the christmas time again we don't really know a lot more about the origins of snowmen other than that but it doesn't matter because where they are now is i think what's most important and yeah. the, the symbolism behind them so much so that Disney has rewritten the story of the Snow Queen to put a snowman into as one of the characters. I don't remember a snowman being in the original Snow Queen fairy tale. So I will say, though, that this, this snowman phenomena has accumulated into the largest snowman ever created back in 2008 in Bethel, Maine. This was a 122 foot and one inch in height uh, snowman. That's a huge snowman. And uh, it hasn't been outdone since. Wow. Even though it weighed approximately 9 million pounds. Whoa! 9 million pounds. Well, so if it was 122 and change t 
tall. What was the width on this thing? It kind of looks like a giant Hershey's Kiss with like snowman decorations on it. It's this it's this giant white globular kind. Of, you know the tofu monster that we faced in the last episode? It reminds me a lot of that. Wow. Only small. Can I see a picture? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yes, it was called the Olympia Snow. Uh, and listeners, you can go online and, and find pictures of it. It's actually pretty impressive. Um, it has trees as arms instead of just branches. They just trees. stuck some trees on there. Wow. Yeah. So pretty interesting. And there you go. There's your brief history of the snowman. See, I would love to uh, figure out the story behind how Frosty the Snowman got written. What inspired the button nose versus the carrot nose? Why the top hat? Uh, all those things. But another day. All right, wheel. Okay, wheel. Put that down. Okay, now he's into the glug. Yeah, I I, I can see that. <laughs> wheel, that's not even a word. Oh my god, where did we go wrong? I feel like we're parents who are saying something else. I'm not gonna read that on the air. Wow, wow, really, wheel? Thanks. This is holiday yeah, Merry season. Merry Christmas to you, too. Wow. Jesus. Just squeal. Where did we go wrong? Where? I don't know. All right. This was your idea. Fair enough, but it's not my fault it developed. Anyway, you know what? We're, we'll save this for later. The nativity scene. Finally, something sensible. <laughs> <laughs> not, that the other, not that the others weren't. I think he performs better when he's drunk, to be honest. Yeah, no kidding. All right, folks, the nativity scene, the quintessential Christmas decoration, because it actually has to do with Christ. Go figure. While the other symbols have been kind of projected onto Christianity, this one was based entirely out of Christianity. Eric, do you know who was the originator of the nativity scene? I believe that was Walter Nativity, who its namesake is, of, of course, named after. Really? All right, all right. If I had to guess... Uh, St. Francis of Assisi. Yes, that's true, but that's because I told you before we recorded. Oh, that's true, yes. Uh, yes, St. Francis of Assisi, the the animal guy. So, and the stigmata guy, too. And the stigmata guy, yes. Very interesting. He actually would, could we do a whole episode on, because, I mean, now he's recently come into memory because the Pope named himself after him. Right. Um, but uh, Assisi was a, uh, let's give you just a quick rundown on his life. He came from wealth, fought in the early Crusades, Got some pretty heavy battle scars, not like physical, mental battle scars. Came back and had seen what the church was turning into and pretty much decided that he was going to give up his life of wealth and go completely uh, a life of poverty. To the point when, actually, I think the whole fact that he's wearing a robe was because he was walking around naked. And someone says, please put this on. (laughs) (laughs) Um he defined the whole vow of poverty, really, if you think about it. And uh, and because of him, of course, the the Franciscan and the Claritin orders. The Claritins is the, the female version of the Franciscan order. Right. Not the wonderful allergy medicine. <laughs> Correct. Uh, in the year, I'm going to say, I think it's 1223. Let me just confirm that real quick. Yes, 1223. Believe it or not, the over-secularization of Christmas goes back 790 years exactly, because the year 1223 was when, I mean, it probably goes back further than that, but this was a, an important benchmark because Francis was noticing that the emphasis on Christmas had already gone away from Christ and more towards the traditions of gift-giving and the other 
you know, things that aren't directly tied to worshiping Christ. So he thought, well, what can we do as a reminder? Well, I'm going to make a scene that depicts the birth of Christ. And the reason why it's called the Nativity Scene, not just because it's a tableau of what's going on, because the, he actually made a living nativity scene. Like it was, he made a stable. He found a, I don't think he took a baby and just put him in the major. That, <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's kidnapping even by those, those standards. I'm sure somebody volunteered that. Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure he did that. Or he had a, a, like a doll made of the, of the child. But he had, you know, actual sheep and you know, he had people standing in as shepherds and it was pretty amazing. And he derives, of course, this, the descriptions of it from the gospel of Luke. Um, and I believe the Gospel of Matthew as well. Those are the two Gospels that really address the birth. John doesn't touch it at all, and Mark doesn't touch it at all either. I think he might mention it briefly, but anyway, that's how far back it goes. It was also kind of a way of knowing whether the house you were going into was Catholic, because the Christmas tree was was Protestant pretty much at that point in time. And I think we might have mentioned that in our Christmas episode of uh, from last year, but I mean, it bears repeating. And of course, me being a theater guy, I know I have to love the fact that this was a performance originally, and then it became the figurines. And in fact, the pantomime of the nativity became so popular. I mean, it got a papal um, blessing associated with it, and it started to spread across Europe, performed in all over uh, all the Catholic countries. Um, I think it's probably around the 16th to 18th centuries that it started to take on the form that we more know of it as of today, where you start to see figurines being uh, constructed of them. Which is why, again, that was that's more I was referring to when it comes to knowing a, a Catholic house versus a non-Catholic house, right? Because finding uh, the symbolism for guilt just is too difficult. Yeah. So you know, and there's like a million and a half variations that you can do. You can always do something slightly different with the nativity. I've seen ones where they they work in the pine trees, which is totally not historically accurate <laughs> whatsoever. Um, I've also seen people do more historically accurate ones because they're not sure whether it was a stable or if it was a cave. Hmm. So um, the one that my grandparents have uh, is one that was made of a cave, is more that looks like etched out of a cave, which is kind of cool. That's kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, I- there's actually a Peruvian crucifix that I'm showing here that has the nativity built into it. It's kind of uh, interesting. It's like it's a built into the base of the cross. Hmm. Yeah. So, hey, it's like the entire timeline of Jesus, birth and death. <laughs> All in one. All in one. I think my favorite depiction of the nativity scene is in The Vicar of Dibley. And uh, for those of you who listened to the show before, you know that I have a love of British comedy and this particular one. And the Christmas episode was so great because one of the main characters was pregnant. And she gets cast, obviously, as as Mary. And during the, the nativity scene, which they hold on a, on a farm there in the village... She goes into labor during the actual, like, rendition <laughs> of the doll, right? That's great. And the vicar, who is so absorbed with the whole performance aspect of it, doesn't even realize that she's giving birth. And she's like, wow, she is really great. And she's like, Ugh! pushing a child out. And then finally, it, it occurs to her that she's actually giving birth. Uh, and then her child is born right there in the stable, just like Jesus was born on Christmas Day. Wow. Yeah, pretty wild. Pretty wild, yeah. <laughs> it's, and it's hilarious. It's so funny because none of the other people can remember any of their lines. And it's just... It's, of course. It's, it's Typical British good. sitcom. Yes, it's, it's yeah. quite excellent. Great. That's awesome. All right, All right, Wheel. Have you sobered up? Are you... Hold on. Are you going to behave now? Thank you for the pot of black coffee. I'm feeling slightly better. 
All right, Wheel. Do it. You don't think it knows how to vomit, do you? <sighs> we'll find out. Well, it did spit up blood last time, so... <laughs> <laughs> I guess eggnog wouldn't be that bad. Christmas lights. Okay, well, that makes sense. We okay. kind of got to finish on Christmas lights. That makes sense, because I guarantee if you haven't already put them up already, you'll be putting them up within the next couple days. I just leave mine up year-round. If I had lights that could just change color at whim, at a whim, you know, could be turned from, from orange to white, Dude, LEDs. I would leave them up. LEDs. That's the future. There, there's got to be some out there that are programmable that I can do that. For. I'm almost I, certain that you can find LED Christmas I lights. I hate do taking that. down my Halloween lights and then putting up Christmas lights like a month later. So that, that's got to exist. Anyway, bit of a side tangent. Uh, Christmas lights have really been around since candles have been around uh, and have been tied into Christmas. Again, in Germany, uh, very wealthy families in in and around kind of the, the mid-18th century started going ahead and decorating their homes with candles, which at that time was actually something that was really expensive. You know, candles weren't right. cheap. And you burned through them, so you kept yeah. having to replace them, uh, you know, as as the holiday went on. Yeah, and this ties in with the stories of Christmas that we've we've talked about already. Like, we, we talked about how in the Christmas of, uh, or the History of Christmas episode, that it really was the late 18th century that we started to see Christmas take on a lot of the traditions that we know of today. Exactly. Right? So, so this, this is not one unusual. Yeah. yeah. Uh, by the 19th century, once Christmas trees started being moved into the home, you found those candles kind of moved along with them as well. And <laughs> not the greatest idea, though. They would take candles and they would melt the wax onto the branches of the tree so that they would cement themselves and stick into place. And then light the candles on the tree. Right. Which So, in other words, if you didn't have your botanist to prune the branches off the right way, you could have a pretty serious house fire on yeah, your hands. Yeah, and I'm sure after decades and decades of house fires, they decided to, to evolve a little bit. And they created some of the first Christmas candle holders that were designed to fit onto the tree and be affixed kind of outward a little bit so that they weren't in direct contact with the the branchiest part of the tree right they were moved out a bit so they were less likely to be a fire hazard and those actually evolved into these really cool little lamps that themselves were kind of bobbles so they they would kind of uh, have their own little like oil lamp source inside and that's how they were lit and that's actually kind of a oh, neat I idea. can't imagine the job of like on a daily basis of like the maid or the butler going through and having to re-oil the, <laughs> the oh, lights in the tree i would hope they would only do it like on christmas yeah that would, that would well, suck. actually, that would be probably be more accurate, I think, that they would do it on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. Yeah. So, probably, yeah. But that was a pretty quick fad. That really only existed between about 1902 and 1914, because I'm sure those were just as much a fire hazard as anything, especially yeah, oil That makes sense, lamp. too, because, I don't know about Europe, but I know America wasn't really fully electrified until the 1920s. That's right. And, you know, this is also the advent of the First World War, so in 1914, right. there was no time for fooling around with this, and they never really came back as a result. Early kind of electric Christmas lights, uh, like you said, weren't really introduced until about the 1880s, but they were very, very expensive. And we owe their existence, of course, to Sir Joseph Swan, who was the inventor of the incandescent bulb, um, who was uh, an English inventor who in 1881 uh, ended up lighting uh, London's very first building, completely lit with electricity, uh, the Savy Theater. Remember how I keep saying how Thomas Edison's one of the greatest phonies in history? This is so proof of that. And it this, gets this is better. one of the things, because I always thought he had at least had done the incandescent light bulb. No, this it was this dude. Yeah, it was yeah. this guy. He improved the light bulb. He didn't make the light he, bulb. He didn't make the light bulb. That's no. correct. 
Swan would later go ahead and start decorating more and more buildings for festivities and, and things not related to Christmas. But pretty soon, these lights, which he attached via strings, right, these string-up lights like we see in Christmas now, they became iconic and are known even today in the UK as fairy lights. So when you talk about Christmas lights here in the United States and in, in England, they're called fairy lights. Makes sense, because it looks like the pixies flying around. Exactly. Yes. Uh, it wouldn't be until Edward H. Johnson, of course, the, the famous associate of inventor Thomas Edison, uh, who was also the vice president of the Edison Electric Light Company, decided that he wanted accomplice, to... Accomplice of the... <laughs> accomplice. <laughs> of the Edison Company. <laughs> decided that he wanted to have a Christmas tree completely lit up. Uh, and this is the first instance that we know of this actually happening. And he hand-wired together 80 of these red, white, and blue lights, uh, put them on his Christmas tree on December 22nd, 1882, in his home in Fifth Avenue in New York City. And all the local newspapers considered it pretty much just to be a joke. Mostly a publicity stunt, something to gain some attention for the Edison Company, and didn't take it seriously at all. But many of the businesses did who obviously saw the the attraction and the attention that the public were getting, and they thought, well, this is great. We can go ahead now and bring people to our shop's windows by hanging up these Christmas lights. And so while they were definitely not within the the range of the average person's budget to afford anything like this, large department stores and other companies could afford to do it. And over time, as the technology improved and they got cheaper to manufacture, by the 1930s, People were hanging Christmas lights, not just on their trees, but also on their homes. Of course, President Grover Cleveland, I think we mentioned this on our previous Christmas episode, was the very first president to have a Christmas tree in the White House. And it was absolutely enormous. But then again, so was Grover Cleveland. Well, really, Taft was the fattest president, but... Cleveland was kind of pudgy. Cleveland wasn't, wasn't the svelte guy himself either, but... yeah. All right, fine. Yeah. That's true. Taft was a bit larger. Well, I say a bit. I mean, enormous. Um, <laughs> but eventually, you would find that uh, it wasn't just intended for, for the president. It was also intended for, for everybody. And if you think about Christmas trees, and you think about iconic Christmas trees, what is probably the most famous in all of the United States? Oh, uh, Rockefeller Center, easily. Rockefeller Center, absolutely. Which had its very first Christmas tree erected in 1931. This Christmas tree was nothing special. It was actually erected at the site while they were still building Rockefeller Center. And there's a very famous picture of it. It was only about 20 feet tall. It was very haphazardly hung with tin cans and pretty much anything and everything Folks, they could this find. this is the height of the Depression we're talking yeah. about. So, And there are a whole <clears throat> bunch of folks who gathered up for the picture who don't look terribly happy because they were actually there just to get paid the meatly wages that they were due. And there's actually a, a counter set up uh, where they're getting their money. And they're all stand up in a queue to do it. And somebody thought this was a great picture opportunity. And it ends up becoming this rather um, striking image of the Great Depression. Uh, 1932 would not see a Christmas tree at Rockefeller Center, but it would the following year once it actually opened. And at that time, it was more uh, akin to the ones that we're familiar with today. The ones that are like 80 feet tall and exactly tons fact, of lights on them. Just a year after that, the organizers managed to get 1,200 colored lights and ornaments uh, that would adorn wow. that tree. Uh, we saw it then eventually getting kind of its own... Uh, TV show, it would be televised uh, much later on, 
the the lighting of the Rockefeller mm-hmm. tree is this very iconic um, scene for the holiday if, if you're an American. Yeah, sure. Uh, it was even decorated by a human body in the 1980s when a person tried to climb the tree and scale the tree and did so unsuccessfully. Did they hurt themselves? Uh, probably. <laughs> they, that part they left out. Yeah. But this this tree uh, has just gotten bigger and bigger and bigger. And in 1999, they brought in the biggest tree, which was 100 feet tall. Wow. And, uh, usually it averages between 70 and 80. But this one was a good 20 feet on top of that as well. So uh, there you go. Well, you were talking about Christmas lights. And I realized that we didn't really get a chance to finish describing the colors. Right. We started with green and then we kind of went off into And we went the into floor. red. We covered yeah, red. We covered, we covered red. That's right. Uh, so we got the big ones, but let's take a second and talk about the other colors that would surely appear on these Christmas lights. Uh, gold. Sure. Gold, of course, is the color of the sun and of light. So incredibly important during winter. It's also the color of gold. Yes. Which right. just it happened is, to be one of the gifts that was given to Jesus. Yes. But unfortunately, gold, the symbolism of gold in that is not as important as we'd like to think it is. It was not to signify his wealth as a king, as some people might, might assume, um, it was to actually pay for the for his tomb. Oh. Yeah. Totally didn't get that. Yeah. Frankincense, gold, and myrrh. Gold was to buy his tomb. Frankincense <laughs> was to deal with the smell. Myrrh was to uh, embalm him. The you idea know what? was that the the idea was that from the moment Jesus was born he was preparing for his death. Wow. You know how we went dark earlier? That's dark. <laughs> Yes. I totally didn't get that. See, <laughs> I'm not a Catholic, so I don't understand these things. That is dark. Incidentally, though, frankincense and myrrh are also excellent ingredients in gingerbread. Okay. So, <laughs> uh, apparently, there are some, there are some hipster bakers who uh, have who have done it. Actually, yes, I like to do my own forms of frankincense and myrrh, and I put little golden raisins in my in my gingerbread. Alan, the intrusive hipster ghost, what are you doing on the history podcast? I was bored. Well, sir, thank you very much for stopping by. Wait, wait, wait. The, the ticker's going off on the Wheel of History. It says, hi, Alan. Hi, Wheel. It's good to see you again. Okay. This is just strange. Wheel, you, you, you shush. You, you, you've done your part This now. is just absurd. Who could have let this happen? Um, us is the answer. Yes, and of course, gold, it does represent, in Christmas colors, of course, it represents the gift of the wise men we talked about that so i I gotta say though as a father if i was in joseph's place and i don't mean to be sacrilegious here for a moment but i'd be a little disturbed if that's what people ended up bringing me to the birth of my child like like i got cigars when my oldest daughter was born if somebody brought me like a tombstone i I think i'd be a little a little concerned i'd be a concerned parent i would probably be too um but it's the symbolism eric it's the symbolism it's the symbolism so uh, and then, of course, we get to white, right? Well, white, very easy in the Western world, is associated with purity. Uh, of course, also snow, right? Uh, pretty straightforward there. But white is a huge deal in mass, right? Usually, the priest is wearing uh, white during high holy days, like Christmas, like uh, feast days, of course, during the whole time of Easter. So, there's definitely a religious context with it. But we also talk don't talk much about blue. And blue... We talked a little bit about during Advent last year, but a couple different things. Blue is usually associated with Mary. And actually, it turns out in medieval times, uh, blue dye and paint were more expensive than gold. Hmm. I believe that. Yeah. Blue was definitely a color of royal families, right? Uh, And very rich people. 
we talked about this last year, but uh, either both purple or blue are used as advent colors. Blue is usually to represent the night sky, right, uh, in preparation of the Christmas star and the star in Bethlehem. Uh, you know what blue also represents? Mm. The worst people at Christmas time. Why? You know why? Because those freaking blue icicle lights that are the kind of blue that burns your soul when you try to look <laughs> at them. You know who you are. Stop it. Don't put those on your home. Stop it. Drop it. Just stop it. <laughs> it angers me. Okay, I'm done. I'm, yeah, I, I got that. I totally got that. You know what? The wheel is saying something. Wheel says, you go, Eric. You go. Yeah, thank you, Wheel. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, if you think about it, if you think about that Jesus was supposed to be kind of be the king of the Jews, right? The fact that you have Mary adorned in blue, a royal color, makes kind of sense, right? You're trying to kind of send the message, a very subtle message through symbolism. Remembering that most people aren't literate, right? You can usually only, at this point in time, the only way you can really tell stories is through imagery. And people at this time already know the symbolism behind colors, right? It's just kind of innate. It's intuitively built into the culture. So if you have Mary wearing blue, it makes total sense that she would be um, kind of a, a regal person, even though she came from humble humble backgrounds. So very fascinating, I think. I, I agree with that, sir. I agree. Well, folks, there you have it. One episode down, three more to go. It's just going to get crazier from here. It's going to be fun. We've got some really excellent episodes planned for you as we said we're going to be talking about um yule yule coming up next week when we're gonna have a guest on that one our, our first fan guest on nerds on history which pretty is gonna cool. be pretty epic oh, actually that's not true we had rick on rick was on that's uh, true yeah rick's another podcaster though that's so, right yes and rick by the way rick and roberta if you're listening what up happy holidays happy holidays indeed yeah we're gonna and i think we're really excited about that uh we're also gonna be doing the nutcracker the history behind the Nutcracker, because it's fascinating. It is. And if I can get things to be scheduled right, which is looking hopeful, we have a very special guest for that episode. I'm not going to tell you who, but it's a very special guest. Yes. And then the last week, we're kind of in a toss-up here. We're, we're thinking of, in fact, you know, let's, let's have you guys vote on which would be more interesting. That's a great idea. That's a great idea. We're thinking of either Christmas traditions from around the world, or we're thinking about the history behind A Christmas Carol which is going to tie in pretty well with the Nerds on Film episode that we're going to do later that month. We'd like to do that as a tie-in, honestly. And honestly, we're going to do both episodes eventually. It's going to happen. It's just, just be either this Christmas or next Christmas. Yeah, because next Christmas we're thinking about doing all-month different uh, traditions from, from around the world, different uh, Christmas things. So we're getting really ahead of ourselves, but that's okay. We'd like to plan ahead. So Exactly, and we want your opinion, and we would like you to vote. So we'll go ahead and have a poll-up on the Facebook page. We'll leave that up for a while, so feel free to go ahead and give us your thoughts on there. Of course, you can also email us. Uh, you can tweet us. You can uh, tweet me at the Brickmont. You can tweet me at Brian Moriarty. And, of course, the company one is at Nerdonomy. Yeah, and if you go to our webpage, you'll find all the other ways that you can communicate and connect with us, uh, including, of course, the listener feedback button. And while you're there, since we're in the season of giving... Give us money! <laughs> it's cold! It's so cold in here! Folks, it is just shy of 60 degrees in the Nerd Cave right now, which is not bad, because we had a, a space heater that was running for about... Mm, 10, 20 minutes to but get it. We're really wimpy Central Californians who don't know how to deal with the cold. So please, we need a ceiling. Yes, indeed. And you can help by 
throwing us any amount of money that you can afford, as little as $1, as many as however many you can afford, by clicking on the donate button. Absolutely. On our page. It would be very much appreciated, and you'll get a gold star for donating. We have we actually have a little gold star that we'll we'll send you. Absolutely. Yeah, we do. Yeah. Yeah. So. If you uh, were hoping to hear about stockings and advent calendars, go ahead and listen uh, to our holiday episode from last year. He's kind of a big deal where we talk about St. Nick, and we went ahead and covered a couple of those iconic representations of uh, of Christmas. So if you felt like those were missing, eh, not really. Just go back and listen yeah, to another yeah. episode. We may have covered ground a little bit, but that's okay uh, every now and again. So yeah, I agree. Check out those episodes. Get caught up. Uh, if you're looking for some more festive things to listen to during this time of year. And uh, Sarah, I don't know about you, but I'm going to be looking forward to putting up my Christmas tree and uh, putting on some Christmas carols. And Because for me, Christmas music is just like, it goes until late January. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm serious. I'm getting a Christmas cactus. And you, you don't think I'm serious, but I'm serious. Go. It's going to happen. We'll have it with the Christmas tree, of course, because I don't want to, you know, get divorced around this time of year. I uh, don't want to offend the wife. So, no, we will get the Christmas cactus, though, in addition to the Christmas tree. Just saying. All right. I'll take a picture. Put it on Twitter. Okay, folks. Uh, Brian, hold on. I, I think the wheel would like to say one last thing before it's all done. <sighs> all right, we'll make it quick. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. Happy all traditions that you celebrate at this time of year. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> oh, God. Oh. 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 <laughs> There was some foreshadowing with this. That You know what? There was some foreshadowing with this. We should have known. We should have known. All right. Thank you for all the eggnog. That smell will never come out. No, it won't. It won't. Thanks. Appreciate that. God. Until next time, stay nerdy and tune into us next week. Same nerd time. Same nerd channel. Nerdonomy.com. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Uh, I think it's passed out. What's it say? I don't know. There's just a whole bunch of Z's on it.